0: Welcome to Rejuvenaging with Dr. Ron Kaiser. This is the podcast designed to help you live your life enthusiastically today, tomorrow, and every other day. I am your host, Ron Kaiser. I'm a positive health psychologist and also author of the award-winning and best-selling book, Rejuvenaging: the Art and Science of Growing Older with Enthusiasm. My website is the Mental Health Gym, which is the place to get all kinds of information about positive psychology, goal-achieving psychology, rejuvenating, and lots of other kinds of things. We're really happy to have you here listening to us. And as longtime listeners know, our podcast typically presents special guests who are in a position where they both live their own lives enthusiastically, but are able to help you to do so in various ways. Today, we have no exception. I'm really thrilled that we have Zach Ballinger with us, who is going to be another one of our tremendous guests, and I'm looking forward to our conversation. Zach Ballinger is a motivational speaker, author, and career consultant. He speaks on topics including career development, job interviewing, passion, and purpose, overcoming obstacles as well as dealing with leadership and sales. For 14 years, Zach has helped high schools, colleges, nonprofit organizations, corporations, and companies reach their true potential and discover purpose and passion. He's spoken to thousands of students and professionals at conferences, colleges, companies, seminars, and training events. He's featured regularly at the University of Tennessee and he has also been featured by the Huffington Post, NBC, CBS, Tri-City Times, Morgan County News, Jane Jackson Careers, and several other key media outlets. He's a dynamic speaker who can relate to anyone from students to working professionals needing a boost of energy. From the stage, Zach brings a passion that is contagious, an energy that's undeniable, and innovative ideas that work in today's new complex world. Zach holds a bachelor's degree in marketing from the University of Tennessee and has 14 years of experience in sales, leadership, motivational speaking, training, and career development. And Zach resides in Atlanta, Georgia, same time zone in which I work. So it's getting close to noon, and I hope we're both awake and ready to inspire. Zach, it's such a pleasure to have you on our show. I really
1: look forward to this and I'm
0: looking forward to our
1: conversation. Dr. Kaiser, thank you so much for having me. It's really an honor and a privilege to be here with you today.
0: Privilege and the pleasure is all mine. So let's get started. I know you've got a lot of important things to say So what I usually like to do is have our guests tell us a little bit about how they got to be who they are today. Can you tell us a little bit about your journey from wherever you want to start to this motivational speaker, leader,
1: author, all kinds of good things that you do? Sure. Thanks for the question. So I actually grew up in a small town called Warbird, Tennessee. It's really in the country. It's about an hour outside of Knoxville in East Tennessee. My grandmother raised me most of my life. And I was actually the first member to go to college. And there wasn't a choice. She made it pretty clear that I was going to be going to college no matter what. So I finished my undergraduate degree in three years. I worked three part-time jobs. I put myself through college and finished with a 3.49 GPA. And I was the first member out of college and I got into one line of work because I thought then when you finish a degree, the goal was, is to make the most money. That seems to be the main standard on college campuses is, hey, find a career that makes you the most money. So I was able to do that. And I got into a career in sales and was doing really well for a few years. And then I found myself at a crossing bridge. I woke up one day and I had two freight trains running down the side of my ears And I have been diagnosed with Meniere's disease, a very rapid form of hearing loss. And so what Meniere's disease does, it causes tinnitus, which is ringing in the ears. And I remember back then, I couldn't even hear my customers. I couldn't hear the TV. I began to social isolate myself, become depressed, didn't want to talk to anybody anymore. I became an introvert. And I met with so many doctors, a lot of them told me to give up and go sign up on disability. And I finally met one doctor, and he had a holistic approach to medicine. And he told me, he said, Zach, how stressed out are you? And I sat back and I said, well, everybody's stressed, aren't they? He said, maybe not to the level you think. And so what I found was, long story short, is that stress and me hating my job was actually rendering me with a tougher form of Meniere's disease. So I decided right then that I was going to change into something that I love doing. Instead of going for something towards the money, I wanted to discover true passion and purpose over my life. Boy,
0: that's really uh, a major switch because I guess you didn't study or plan for or prepare either to have Meniere's disease or to make a career change pretty early in your career. Why motivational speaking and writing and inspiring others. I mean, there's a lot of different career changes that one can make. And as I think about it, there are quite a few careers that are less stressful than, than others. So why choose
1: what you chose? Yeah, great question. So when I talk to students and professionals, a lot of them ask me, how do I find my purpose and passion? You know, I think it's a cliche that's been overused a lot. So a lot of people and naysayers say, well, you can't love your job. You can't love your work. And that's just simply not true. And so for us, what I mean by discover your passion, I don't mean quit your job and go become an NBA basketball player. What I'm saying is, is you look inside yourself, find out your unique strengths, your abilities, and your talents, and it's up to you to find those. And there's a process to do that. When you find them, you develop them. It means you work on them you study them, you get better at those qualities. And for me, an underlying theme through my whole life, and I didn't see it for 10, 15 years, till I had a manager talk to me and sit down with me, he called me into his, his office, he said, Zach, sit down, we need to talk about your performance. And that's never a good sign usually. And he said, Zach, I got a question for you, have you ever considered sales training? And I said, no, why? And he said, well, you presented at that last meeting and you were really good at it. And I had a lot of good, positive feedback. Your platform skills are amazing. Have you ever thought about doing some type of training role? And so for me, you know, when I look back at my life, that was the underlying thing the whole time. My fourth grade teacher told me I was going to be a teacher. My high school teacher He said, you know, Zach, there's something about it where you're really good on stage. And, you know, a lot of times we don't see these compliments. We don't see think of them as a big deal. And so for me, my whole life was teaching and presenting and that passion really exuded. And so what I've been able to do is funnel that passion into speaking and really helping audiences discover their own true passion and purpose and help them find a career they love and ace a job interview.
0: Now, some people hear about the word sales, and we talk about, geez, you wanted to do something that was less stressful. And while I understand you're not a salesman on commission or something like that, but the fact is that you've chosen an area that, you know, it's not like doing motivational speaking on how to relax, meditation, things of this nature.
1: Do you find what you're doing isn't stressing you out? You're asking all the great questions because I have a lot of people say, so you never have a bad day. Of course I have bad days. You know, everybody's going to have a down day. There's always going to be stressful moments in life, whether it be personal or professional. Things don't go right in a speaking event. I remember one time I was speaking to a crowd of 1,800 people and the audio wouldn't work and my presentation collapsed at the same time. So talk about a bad day. So, you know, there's going to be bad days. There's going to be stressful moments. But I think what you do is if you found your true calling in life, which I do believe it is my innate ability to speak to people and be a part of those platform skills and use them to develop other people, I think that's what keeps you motivated. What I would say is that, sure, I do have stress. I think I'm a type A personality when it comes to it. My dad was an extreme type a personality. We like perfection. We like a process. We like a plan. But I think what happens is is when you love your work and you have those bad days, you're able to put them beside and realize there's a new tomorrow and you get to wake up. And if you're happy the most of the time in your life and your career, I think that's what really matters. Now, if I went through and every day was miserable, like I was, and every day was miserable and I dreaded and I had canker sores in my mouth and my health was declining and I didn't do any social interaction, spiritually bankrupt, all these things, then we can start talking, you know, is this a line of work you really want to pursue for the next five years?
0: This makes a whole lot of sense, but I imagine that Work is a part of your life. What do you do in terms of self-care? You talked about a couple of Ps, purpose and passion. What about play?
1: Yeah, you have to take care of yourself. You know, you're right on that. And so what I try to do is I frequent a gym regularly, exercise is a big part. Now, when I was on the road before post COVID, I was traveling a lot. So, you know, my diet wasn't as clean as I always wanted. Sometimes you had to have airport food or McDonald's or whatever they had at the buffets. But, you know, really for me, the staple of my life has been working out and exercising, making sure that part and what that holistic approach, I kind of mentioned that before, what the ENT told me when I was losing my hearing is I never grew up that way. <laughs> I grew up on pinto beans, cornbread, fried chicken, fried okra, all the good stuff granny made. And I thought, this guy's crazy. He's saying a dot could change my hearing and you know, eat less salt. I'm like, there's no way, we love salt. And, and so what I began to do is research Meniere's disease and find out that actually salt plays a huge role in those people that have a disease. So a high salt diet can lead to difficult days of hearing. And so what I try to do is limit my salt intake. That's not easy. Everything has salt in it. So I do that. I always stay a part of an exercise routine. And one of my getaways is is really working out my yard. I love that and I enjoy traveling. And so I think you're right. You have to have that fine balance. You know, I can't speak 16 hours a day for a career. You do have to balance that out. And so also I love to volunteer in the community. Sometimes giving back your own passion and your skills in the community can really help invigorate yourself. And really, I love doing that.
0: You know, that kind of meshes with a lot of the things that I try and preach that I work with a lot of headache patients and people kind of grow up without questioning the fact, hey, if I take a pill, it goes to my stomach, it's going to help my head. How is you know, exercise going to help my head? It does require a real rethinking. And I think it probably was the same thing. True, if you you know, grow up with a certain diet, that that's kind of what it is, that that's what life is. Were you able to slow down the hearing loss? Or where do you stand hearing-wise now?
1: Yeah. So, you know, I had been on a lot of different oral therapies, steroids, antibiotics, antidepressants, anti anxieties, you name it, I was put on it, and then um, procedures and many different things. So, you know, each day is a different journey. Right now, I lost permanently 50 percent of my hearing and I don't have any hearing in my right ear. But there is ways to help that. Now, is every day perfect? It fluctuates. So some days, you know, the ringing is really loud. But you know, so far, what's been amazing, and I never would have believed this if you told me this five or 10 years ago when I was in a job that I just was miserable at, stress really does play a role. And I find the days that I've had a really bad day are more stressed, the hearing's worse. When I get a good night's sleep, that's another key I forgot to mention. You know, I never slept well, but I think that's a lot of on me. <laughs> Staying up, you know, late reading or bowling on your phone or there's some of these so tempted these Netflix series, we just start binge watching and then we find ourselves up at 2 a.m. and getting up at 7. I think for me... Sleeps a big focus too to get a plenty of sleep at night, but you know that's the thing about this whole. I've been able to really manage my life much better with my disability.
0: The work that you're doing is really wonderful in terms of helping people find their purpose and passion and so on. I would like to think that that can be done without having to go through the kind of struggles that you did initially. I know that dealing with a crisis is always pretty motivating, whereas prevention isn't always that motivating. But in your talking with, say, high school students or younger people, how do, you know, I I think whenever we deal with anything, saving for retirement is much more motivating when you're 50 than when you're 20. You know, so I'm wondering, how do you inspire people to really
1: do something that's going to pay off a whole lot better for them? When I talk to my students, I try to inspire them by two things. Number one, I tell them the truth. And sometimes that's hard to swallow. And usually in my evaluations of my speakers, that's the content that gets dinged on. And I don't mind because it's something that I know I'm going to get dinged on. Here it is. life short. You know, the reality is, is that the average lifespan in North America is between 77, 78 years old, male and female. And we don't know how long we have in that time frame. And I always tell students, you know, if you look at an analogy, because I remember being 16, 17, didn't really think that would affect me. And as I worked in St. Jude and volunteered in Memphis, I've seen the realities of life can be cut short. I've seen people in car accidents. In fact, um, lady at my church that I became really good friends with, she lost her daughter, University of Georgia student three years ago, no drinking, no drugs involved. They hit a car head on and right then four UGA teenagers lost their lives in that moment. And so those things happen all the time. We just may not hear about them on the news. So what I tell students, there's analogy over life. You look at your life and let's say that someone's life's cut short. You live to be seven or 10 years old. And you were able to measure that in a rock, your lifespan. And you look at the Pacific Ocean, it's the largest thing out there on the world's surface. 30% of it covers it, and 62,000 square miles. If you took that rock and you threw it in that ocean, there'd be no ripple effect. And let's say you live to be my age, 40 or 50 years old, and maybe your life's cut short. I've actually had people in my own high school class that have passed away for just from different reasons. And you measure that rock, it's maybe a limestone because it's a little bit bigger and you throw it in the Pacific Ocean, there's still no ripple effect. And maybe you leave it to be my grandmother's age who had recently passed away in February, 90 years old, you have that maximum opportunity. You've got the biggest rock you can carry and you throw it in the Pacific Ocean, and there's still no ripple effect. And see, what I found out, is not about the size of your rock. It's what you do with your rock. In other words, it's not about... How long you have is what you do with the time you have on earth. And the second analogy I always give students is you look at a gravestone. You know, if you go to a graveyard, if you look at a gravestone, there's a number that starts out with a year, and then there's an end date. And there's something in the middle that I believe that summarizes life so well. It's a dash, a very short moment in time. So I challenge my students, what will you do inside your dash? If you can get the students to thinking about a relatively concept that you don't want to work one third of your life being miserable with very short moment of time, you can really get them to become motivated about their own career journeys.
0: That's wonderful advice and wonderful analogies. And Do you find that there is a percentage of students who really get motivated and make some changes the way that you did at, at a
1: later age? Yeah, I've heard success story after success story. You know, you're not going to reach every student you talk to. You know, I've talked to thousands all across the world. But the stories that have resonated me that I can remember has really touched me. You know, I talked to Ben, who wanted to be a dentist. I got on the college campus. He was a freshman. And I asked Ben, I said, why do you want to be a dentist? I said, well, I don't really want to be a dentist. But my dad's a dentist and my parents want me to be a dentist. And I said, well, why would you do a career that you don't want to do that your parents want you to do? You know, and I've been really questioning, well, turns out, long story short, Ben's actually an outside sales rep now. His passion was selling. He's doing very well financially. His parents always wanted to be a dentist. But, you know, for stories like that, or somebody that's struggled with their whole life or a student entering in and said, you really changed my perspective on this. Maybe I should go (laughs) visit the career center and get some guidance before I just pick a major because I want the money or because it sounds neat. And I think in this country, we really lack career development in the high school level. And I think that's why a lot of high schools have me come in and talk to them about career development because that's a portion of education, just like finances, that we really fundamentally lack in America. And so I try to fill that gap. And I've seen story after story where I've seen student put on the right, the right track.
0: Yeah, it's absolutely true. And unfortunately, as schools face budget problems, counselors often are among the first to go who may be able to advise them in that direction. What about if we're talking about people who are adults? I run into a number of patients who just as part of my, my history taking, will ask them what they do. Do you like what you do? And I'll get like, it's all right, but you know, uh, it's a job. And if I don't screw up, I can continue to work there, you know, and get a pension and all that. It always maybe bothers me more than it should, but it saddens me to, to hear, hey, this is, uh, this is the way it is. It's kind of like, Somebody sitting down in front of the TV, not having anything in mind to watch, and figure, well, I wonder what's on TV tonight. Have nothing better to do than to try and fill the time with something that's that's pretty meaningless. And I think, you know, committing yourself that eight hours a day you're going to keep doing what is okay. How does somebody like that get reached? And is it even? I don't want to use the word fair, but if somebody has decided, hey, why risk something when I know I'll get a pension as long as I don't screw up on this job?
1: It's a great question because I see it all the time. And here's why me and you both see it, because it's true. So Gallup and USA Today had a study that they did with 153,000 American workers, and they surveyed the American workers, and 70% of people actually hate their jobs. So seven out of 10 people living in this country, if you ask them, do you like your job? They actually hate it. And some people are okay with a status quo. And that's what I call a zombie. I even wore the shirt zombie. i for a TED talk I made because, you know, what I call them is work-life zombies. They have no passion. They have no purpose. They're in it for the money. They are going through the motions. They keep doing that. But, you know, I talked to two individuals that really are on the different end of the spectrum. I was given a TED Talk and a presentation. Let me tell you about these two individuals. One of them came up to me after my TED Talk at Stanford. It was a 65-year-old who had just retired. Said, Zach, I'm ready for my encore career. I'm passionate. I've done medical research my whole life. I've done it 30 years. I loved it. But I want to go into something now that I'm passionate about. Could you help me find that? Give me some ideas to do that. I'm willing to learn, I'm willing to do anything else, but I wanna find something that is my encore career that takes me to the next level. So obviously a mindset that he's gonna win, and I do believe he's going to. Just a few months later, it's crazy, but a 62 year old came up to me after my talk, looked defeated, looked older than a 65 year old. And he said, Zach, I got one problem with all your advice. I'm 62 years old, too old for it. I'm almost at retirement age. So your advice doesn't work and starts laughing at me. And so you can see the mindsets are a little bit different. You've got 65-year-old Stanford and 62 60-year-old guy who didn't really like his job. And let's face it, the 60-year-old wouldn't have came up to me to talk to me if he wasn't searching for more. And that's what's the sad part. So we got to talk, and do you know Colonel Sanders didn't fry his first bucket of chicken until he was 65 years old? Colonel Sanders was living on Social Security in his car, and he began, the first Kentucky fried chicken was made when he was 67 years old. You can do this stuff at any age. My grandpa now, he has an encore career of building birdhouses. He loves it. That's his passion. He's 77 years old, and he's he moves around like he's 30 because he loves doing that job. So I believe we have to get these people onto this zombie boat and somehow shake them up a little bit. That's great advice. Well, from a practical standpoint, how do people
0: find you? I mean, is it they wait for you to speak somewhere? If they are, obviously, if they book speakers, uh, you know, how do they find you? What, What about somebody who's just an individual who this this resonates with them,
1: what do you do and how do they find you? Great news. So they don't have to wait till I come in their area to speak. So I'm actually all over social media and I have a website that they're welcome to go to. It's zachballinger.com, Z-A-C-K-B-A-L-L-I-N-G-E-R. And what you'll find on the website, you'll find all my social media links. And so I've got about 40,000 people follow me on Facebook right now, watching my content over there, Instagram, LinkedIn, just different ways you can connect. I try to give advice and career motivational things on there. Also, what I did is there's a tab under my website that's free resources. And what happens is, is those are the steps to get you started today. So there's really no point. You can't say, well, I've got to wait for Zach to come speak or i got to talk to him live. All the steps are right under my free resources tab on zackMallenger.com And I also do have a book, The Hot Seat, How to Meet the Challenge of a New Era of Job Interviewing. If you're ready and you're passionate, you've got that career in mind and you want to ace a job interview. I wrote a great book, A One-Stop Shop to help people really ace their job interview in a complex world and a complex time to be interviewing. Okay, and we'll have all this contact information
0: on the show notes and so on. Can you uh, give us a, the short course of, you know, the term the hot seat and just in general what the attitude should be in, in approaching the interview? I, I know it's more complex than what you can say in a few sentences, but just the general attitude about finding your career with passion and purpose.
1: Real quick, how you ace a job interview, the books broke, broke down to three phases, and this is what tells you everything. It's the pre, the during, and the post. What you do before the interview is 90% of the time gonna determine how you do that. We get most of our job through con- connections, not through applying on the mobile apps. So you do probably get about 10% of the jobs you apply for online. So really it's a humanistic a factor. So. Everything in the book is a pre-phase. That's about half the book. Then you go through during phase, what you say, you know, what they're actually looking for, the psychology behind the questions, why they ask this. And then the post. Most people do the first two, but they don't do the last. So they'll interview. They won't do any follow-up. They won't send a thank you letter. They won't know how to network beyond what they've done from the job interview. So it really takes you to a multi-level approach to what you do before the interview, during, and after and it will
0: be actually spelled out more specifically and completely in the book, which is available where?
1: So same site, so they can go to zapballinger.com and it's right there, the link will pull up and you can get it on Amazon or other different features, but the website will walk them right through that and they'll be able to order it right on the website.
0: Thanks very much for all that information. You know, I have interviewed a number of motivational speakers. I was really looking forward to speaking with you because you have a, a real niche as opposed to not that people don't need motivation to think positively generally. But the reality is so much of our lives are tied up with work, making a bad decision, which is, you know, fine. You can make bad decisions, but staying with a bad decision can make your life really, really miserable and need many people who, again, see people like myself as psychologists are really doing it as a consequence of the fact that, that their quality of life suffers, even if they're doing okay financially. And It's really hard to practice for being happy in your career, so being able to get motivated and focus on what's appropriate is really key to it. And particularly getting that kind of advice from somebody who has gone through it and who has overcome that adversity. I mean, it's really great. I mean, this has been wonderful speaking with you. Anything else I should have asked you but didn't or anything else that you uh, think would be appropriate for the audience
1: yeah, just to leave on this point is that, you know, I believe we were meant for so much more than we're doing. And so, you know, you, you made a good point about that is sometimes our passions change in life. So the average millennial nowadays switches jobs every 3.5 years. And so the new workforce has really changed over time. And just because you're passionate about something at 21 doesn't mean at 30 years old that doesn't change. So, it's very normal for you to be in a job. And maybe at one time you liked it, like I did when I first got to my job. I liked it. You know, it was something new. And then after a few years, it just wasn't what it needed to be. The key that you said there is have a plan, don't stay in it you know longevity doesn't mean gone are the days where you go to a company you work 40 years and you retire with a pension that's just phasing out nowadays and so we really have a great time to, to really renew your passion change be willing to embrace that and go into the marketplace and go win
0: yeah and i think one of the the key things is the fact that that there's really been a shift generationally. And we don't necessarily have a lot of role models of the way life is lived now. Again, previous generations and people grew up with parents who stayed in the same career and and often the same employer throughout their work life. And it's a different world, and to not adapt to it is just like not adapting to anything else in, in the world. Our survival as a species, as Darwin said, was really related to our ability to change. And this is one of the most important areas in which change is critical. I really appreciate how much you're doing to help the world change. I assume you know how important your work is. Really grateful that you could do it and that you're. Able to share it with us, so thanks, Zach. Really, really appreciate your appearing on Rejuvenaging with Dr. Ron Kaiser. Looking forward to your continued work, and hopefully, we'll we'll be in touch again on a on a
1: future show down the road. That'd be great. Thank you so much for having me.
0: This has been Dr. Ron Kaiser. The show is Rejuvenating with Dr. Ron Kaiser. My website is the dot and. My book is Rejuvenating the Art and Science of Growing Older with Enthusiasm. Our guest has been Zach Ballinger, really grateful for him, for the work he does, and grateful to him for sharing it with us. This is, for those of you who are new to the podcast, this is an example of the quality of the guests that we have, so we hope you'll join us next time when we have another interesting guest who will help us to live our lives with enthusiasm and, as Zach indicated, with purpose and passion. Take care and have a good day.